Well, welcome to Living Spring this morning. It is so good to be here and worship with you this, uh, this morning, a good and powerful God. And so I am just grateful to be here. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys knew this, but we celebrated a major holiday this week. Um, it was international, or it was National Puppy Day. Um, so I just brought a couple pictures, new pictures of, of our puppy. Um, that is Athena. That is what she looks like all the time. Uh, she's hyper. She's either running or she's sleeping. I don't, I can't keep up. Um, she's gotten huge. I brought her like a, a, a couple months ago and she was like this tiny. And now she, well, she's still tiny, but anyway, this morning we are continuing. I'm going to leave that up there just so you know, for you to be uh, distracted by. Uh, so this morning we are continuing our series through the story of Nehemiah. And we've been, uh, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks and unpacking this idea that we are all building something. Whether you are single, married, divorced, or widowed, whether you are young or old or you've stopped counting birthdays at 30, uh, if you're a CEO, an intern, or a stay-at-home parent, we are all building something. We're in the process of constructing. And so this, pro- this process uh, that we've been led through for the last month uh, by Pastor John has kind of started with, um, we, we've had four, four weeks, so I've got four bullets here. Um, first, we become doers. We're moved and uh, compelled and convicted into action. God breaks our hearts for something, and then we, we ask, we go, we go before our Father and ask, is this a call to action? Are you, are you wanting me to do something? And then we encounter the possibility of interruptions. We, we, we engage with this possibility that God might choose to interrupt the work that we are trying to do. And at the same time, we also have this distinct possibility that there is an enemy who wants to interrupt what God is trying to do through us. And so the task then becomes figuring out who is trying to do the interrupting and do we let them. And then we talked about this careful inspection. We have to actually do the work. We have to strengthen the walls. We have to build somewhere. And so we inspect the areas in our lives that are already broken down, where the enemy has already gotten through, where he might already have a stronghold. And it's there that we start building the walls, that we start the, the actual work. And finally, we set the guard and live behind the walls. This is where we were meant to be. We, we've established a guard. We've set the rules for, for our cities, for the, the entryways. And this is where we're meant to be. And so that's where we, where we left off last week. Um, and so today, we are actually going to conclude this series um, we're going to end our, our walk through Nehemiah with what I actually think is the most important part of building a, any structure. We, when you build something, when you build a room that you're meant to live in or occupy or enter, at some point you have to build a doorway. And, and this is something that I've become fascinated by uh, because I love stories. I, I'm a huge nerd, if you didn't know this about me. I'm a huge nerd. I love Star Wars. Lord of the Rings, um, 
uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Harry Potter, like all the nerdiest things you can think of. Um, my socks today are Harry Potter themed, so just so you know, um, they're great. I, I'm a huge nerd, and, and I love stories in particular. It, it, you, you've probably heard me talk about this. I, I've, I've gotten the opportunity to speak here multiple times, and I often come back to this fact that I love stories. Um, actually, when I was in my Meg board interview, the, the interview process to become a pastor, to where they decide if I'm going to be ordained or not, someone asked me, what's your addiction? And I'm like, oh, crud. Um, I love stories. I, lo- I have like 170 audiobooks on my phone right now. I just asked my uncle for his login because I needed more books. Um, and, and so I love these stories. But something I've noticed about stories in general is that a lot of the time there are doorways. And these doorways are incredibly important to the story. Whether you are, uh, you're boarding, you're going through a wall to get on the platform in nine and three quarters in Harry Potter. Um, this is my favorite doorway, by the way. It's not actually a doorway. It's like a gate um, that you walk through and it's, yeah, um, it's hidden. Anyway, <laughs> there's also, uh, I, I'm just listing off a couple of my favorites. Uh, there's the door that Truman enters in the Truman Show. And he's like trapped in this alternate reality where he is the subject of a TV show made about him from the time he was born to, uh, to when he escapes. There's the Jurassic Park gates. Um, when you walk through those, or when you drive through those, you are t- you're, you're taken to a world where extinct beings that have been gone since before you and I could even imagine being alive, they exist. They roam around, and they're free to some extent. Um, there's the wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia. This is one of my favorites, too. I, I am obsessed with C.S. Lewis. And this takes you to another plane of existence. And, and I bring these up because these doorways exist. They are they're important. They take us from one place to another. They, they have power. We walk through these thresholds that can close on us, and we are taken to a completely different reality sometimes. And... This is, and all of these doorways that I listed have rules. Um, you don't, you, you can't get onto platform nine and three quarters if you're not a wizard. Um, you, you can't go through the doorway that Truman wants to get out unless you're not Truman. Um, you're not allowed to leave if you're named Truman and you're the star of the show. Uh, you, you can't enter Jurassic Park unless you pay an entry fee or you fly in because you want to get eaten by dinosaurs. Um, There there are rules and structures governing these doorways. And even at my house, there are rules around doorways. If you want to open a door, you have to make sure that Athena is being held because she she will poop in that room. Like, if you open a door and she's not being held, it doesn't matter if you see her go in the room. There will be poop in there. Um... And so, this is the case. It happened last night. I'm telling you now, we did not see it, but she did. Um, And so, as I was thinking about this week's message, I I was just consumed with the thought of doorways, about how important they are, and what they what role they play in uh, in in the building of any kind of structure, especially 
walls, especially when we are trying to fortify a city. Last week, we talked about gatehouses and uh, the setting of a guard, creating rules and structures for the gatehouse. But I want us to step back a little bit today, and I want us to just recognize that there is a gatehouse, that the walls we've been building, those are those are relatively easy to build. Um, once, you, once you get the, the lay a brick here, cover it with the cement or whatever you're using, lay another brick, like you can set up a wall. Gates, doorways are significantly more difficult. You, ha- like, you have to be more intentional about how you build them. You have to do measurements correctly to fit the door in the, in the frame. You have to set, uh, you have to install a, a handle or some way to open it. And so as we build our walls, the walls that we've been talking about in this series through Nehemiah, the, as, we, as we build the, the boundaries of our life, I think we have to remember that we need to make space. We need to know how and know where to build the door. Because if we don't have a door, if, if you don't have a gateway, if you don't have an entry point, food can never get in. Water can never get in. Nourishment can never get inside the walls. And waste can never leave. And so we can build all the walls we want. We can, get, we can build the strongest walls out there. And, and honestly, if, if a wall doesn't have a gate, it's probably actually more sturdy. Like, it's going to be harder to get into because there's no easy way, there's no natural entry point. But if your wall doesn't have a gate, if your city, your fortification does not have a gate or a door, I'm going to use those interchangeably. I'm sorry if I'm confusing anyone. If your city or your wall does not have a gate, everything behind the wall is going to die. It won't have the nourishment it needs. It won't have the sustenance it needs. And so in Nehemiah chapter 12, uh, Nehemiah and the rest of the city are, are parading around Jerusalem, parading around the walls, parading around the, the, the city in a dedication ceremony. And, and what struck me about this ceremony was that when they did this, when they, when they were marching around, when they're setting the route um, that they would go, the way they told people the way people would know where they're supposed to go from and to is they would name the gates that they have to pass. And this was just a reminder to me that the gates are important. That these are structures that are, are integral to the city. Everyone knows where the gates are. You know what gate you're going to. And so... Uh, and, and these gates... Were, were special. Not only were they hard to be built, but you had to station guards there because, again, there were people that wanted to come in that maybe you wanted to keep out. Uh, you, you, had, you had to set up rules for when they would open and close. But even more than the defensive importance of a gate, these were important. These were symbolic. Things happened at the gates in ancient Israel. Um, this is where legal transactions, where court proceedings and royal decrees occurred in the midst of the gate. Gates in biblical Israel 
weren't just a doorway into the city. They were where prophets cried out, where kings judged, and where people met regularly. We can see um, there, there are a few stories in Scripture that specifically kind of make reference to this. And one is in the city of Hebron, south of Jerusalem. Abraham, per, like he, he coordinated the purchase of a cave where he would lay to rest his wife Sarah. And then generations later, Boaz, one of Jesus' ancestors, would bring a whole delegation of, of elders in the city to the city gate, and, and there, would be, there had to be 10 people there. And he brought 10 people, and that is where he declared, you are, today you are witnesses to the fact that he was going to marry Ruth, that he was claiming legal rights to marry Ruth. The, uh, the gate is also where, uh, where Amos cried out, hate evil and love good and do justice in the gate. This is also where King David would, uh, in, during battle and during his court, like when he held court, when he wanted to be seen by his people, he would do that at the gate. There was a special place for him at the gate. These gates were incredibly important in biblical Israel. And so, uh, and, and like, so like I said, when in biblical Israel, the gates were a place where prophets cried out, where kings passed judgment, and where people met. And so if you're taking notes, that, those, are, those are a couple of the, the key things that happened at the gate. But there's one more thing that um, there's one event in particular that I want to address at the gates, um, specifically the Golden Gate in Jerusalem. And we're going to be look, we're not actually looking at much of Nehemiah today. I just wanted us to remember that Nehemiah built, the, rebuilt the walls. He rebuilt the gates 400 years before Jesus was born. And so Nehemiah built these walls, built these gates, and they, they stood. And so in Matthew 21, we encounter Jesus entering Jerusalem for the first time in his adult life, or at least the first time that we see in the book of Matthew. And so we're going to go ahead and read Matthew 21. Um, but this is, I, I want us to, to know beforehand, this story is one of the only stories in all of Scripture that appears four times. All, in all four Gospels, it, appear, it, it appears most stories occur once, twice, or maybe three times, but this is one of the few stories that occurs in all four gospel accounts, which just means that it is significant. There is something very important about this, uh, this event. And so let's go ahead and read. Uh, so read with me. As they, appear, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut... Sorry, that was a duplicate. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This event is known as Palm Sunday, which occurs every year the Sunday before Easter, which means today is Palm Sunday. We've said that a couple times, so happy Palm Sunday. Um, But today is the day that we remember Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem triumphantly. We remember his entry into the... to this, this is the capital city. This is the royal city. This is the city of ancient kings, and Jesus enters it as a king. This is the moment in history where we mark Jesus declaring himself king over Israel, Messiah over the lives of his people, and more importantly, king over the world. Like he is claiming his place as God. Daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you humble and riding on a donkey. The moment he entered the gates of Jerusalem, he made a public claim to be the king and Messiah. And at this time, Rome, the Roman Empire, was in power. They didn't tolerate any any other kings. They didn't want someone else claiming authority and power that they said, only belongs to the emperor. So Jesus entered, entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the Uh, saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were angry. Do you hear what these children are saying, they said to him? Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? Lord, have called uh, forth your praise. Jesus rides into his capital city. Again, he's on a donkey. He is, he is he's fulfilling a prophecy, but he is riding in at the procession of a host of people saying, Hosanna, our king is here. The streets of Jerusalem, the royal city, has opened him, and he rides up like a king to his palace. But he's not riding to King Herod's palace, where the current person that calls himself king over Israel lives. He rides up to his father's house, to the temple, because his isn't just an earthly kingdom. Yes, he's claiming dominion over the whole earth, but it's something more. There's something different happening here. And so what I wanted to, to draw out in this is this is an important event in history. This is where we, where we mark the moment of Jesus declaring his kingship over us. And he's walking through, or he's riding through the gates that Nehemiah built 400 years earlier. 
In this series, we've been discussing the building of walls and the creating of, uh, of our boundaries in our lives. If you've ever been to see a counselor or a therapist, you'll, you'll probably know that most of the time they're going to say, yes, building, building walls, creating boundaries for yourself is very healthy. Um, we want you to do that. We don't want you to be a doormat. We don't want you to not have boundaries. But when you start building a wall, the most important thing to know is how and where to build the door. And so today, I want us to start thinking, reflect on the walls that you've, that you've built in your life. Are there doors? Are there gates? Is there a way to get, get in? As we conclude this series, I want us to consider those doorways and those gates. When you build up walls around you, are you constructing a means of communication with the outside world? Are you, uh, are you meeting with others? Are you creating a place where you can meet with others? Where you allow new thoughts and new ideas, new perspectives to, to enter into your fortifications? Is there a space for prophets to exhort you to encourage you to call out for justice? Is there a threshold for Jesus to ride in on a donkey and declare himself king over your life? Are the walls in your life, uh, are there walls in in your life that you've carefully built up and when you look around, you don't see a doorway? All you see is wall. Is there a relationship that you've built up walls around and there's no way for you to get out. There's no way for them, for, for a therapist or someone else to enter in and provide help or nourishment. Have you built walls around your career? And you've worked yourself half to death building these walls. And when you sit down at your desk, you look around your office and you see there's no doorway. Have you memorize the party line on whatever political issue there is today and then realize that there's no exit to the voting booth. When you think about the walls that you've been building uh, and that's all you see are walls, then it may be time to take a sledgehammer and start creating a doorway. We might have to start finding a place to, to tear down one or two of the bricks. Pastor John, uh, during the first week of this series, a few weeks ago, um, he talked about the heartbreak. And we, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but he talked about the heartbreak that we experience and how that can be a catalyst, how that can be the means by which we, we ask God, is that our call to action? Is that what we are supposed to do? The things that break your heart, the things that cause you to be angry or frustrated, Maybe that's your door. Maybe that's where you, you start to break down a little bit of the walls that you've been building up. Because maybe your, your heart breaks for, uh, for those with addiction, who struggle with addiction. Maybe your heart breaks for families that have lost uh, a parent or a child. Maybe your heart breaks for children who have lost or are for some reason growing up without a parent. Maybe your heart breaks for those who, who suffer from systemic racism and oppression. I, I, don't, I don't know what breaks your heart. You, you know that. But maybe these are places where 
you can create a doorway. I think you'll still have walls, you'll still have boundaries. But when you build these doorways, when you enter into the work that God has prepared for you, you'll also be having a safe place of entry, of interaction with, that, with the world. And even more importantly, now you'll have a place where Jesus can ride in and declare himself king. Because if you don't have a wall, or if you don't have a gate, if you don't have a doorway, there's no way for Jesus to get in either. You're guarding it too tightly. And this is something that I've done. This is something I I have continued to do throughout my life. I, I struggled with depression for most of my life, and I hid that for about eight years until I got to college. And I couldn't hide it anymore. I, I, was, I, I lived with the people I was trying to hide it from. And even still, for the next four years after college, like even when I, when I learned I can't hide it well, it took me going to counseling and for the hard work of someone else saying, there, there's nothing but walls here. There's no gateway. There's no door for anyone else to enter in. You're holding on to your emotional well, your emotional distance, actually, too tightly. I hadn't let Jesus do the work there. And so when we create these doorways, we are creating a way for Jesus to enter into our lives and declare himself king. So as Audra and the band come back to the stage, um, Audra will read a poem that she wrote during the message and uh, then lead us in, in a final song. And during this time, we... Uh, if you worship through giving, um, we often use this time to prepare our tithes and offerings. We don't pass around an a offering basket. We just have a box in the back um, that you can put, put it in uh, along with your connection card on your way out. But there's one more thing I want us to do today. As we're singing this last song, I want you to pull out a paper. Uh, if you've got a connection card, there's a, uh, there's a small group form in there or small group slip. Uh, you can use the back of a tithe envelope. You use an app on your phone to draw. But I want you to draw a door. It can be as simple or as elaborate as you want. But I want you to draw a door. And if there is something that has broken your heart this, this week, if there is something that breaks your heart regularly, write it on the door. Give that door a name and a purpose. I'm going to pray for us. And as you do that, um, I'll, I'll have a final instruction one, uh, once I come back up after the, this final song. But I want you to spend this time drawing that door. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to, to speak this morning. And I pray that your word was, was spoken. That you were heard, um, not just me, God. I pray that you you enter into our lives powerfully, majestically, triumphantly, conquer an overwhelming enemy, an overpowered enemy, God. We, We have so many of those in our lives, whether it's depression or addiction, whether it's lust or anxiety. There are so many enemies that we could often feel overwhelmed by, and I pray that you declare yourself king. Lord, we ask as we sing this last song, as we prepare to celebrate your death and resurrection, pray that your will is done in our lives. We love you, God.